I'm going to tell you what, uh, Pastor Nate, who puts our videos together, that was some bumping music for our uh, opening of the Miracle Series. I like it. So um, we just finished out a parable series not too long ago, and we thought we'd follow that up with some miracles of Jesus. So over the next six weeks, we're going to unpack six of the miracles of Jesus, six out of the 37. But before I dive into any of that, let's talk about this for a second. I think the baseline for this series is this rivalries. There's some classic rivalries out in the world today. Let's, let's examine a few. Maybe uh, let's go sports first. If you're like me and you root for the Packers who are kicking off four o'clock this afternoon. Yeah, yeah Packers fans, all right. Maybe it's the, it's, the, it's the Minnesota Vikings rivalry that we beat every year. Maybe it's them. Or for you Bears fans, we'll give you guys the Lions. You guys should win all those. Maybe it's Metamora and Washington. Hold on, though. Where's my Washington people? All right, I got a couple. All right. Maybe for some of the younger people or some of the uh, more comic book inclined, maybe it's uh, Captain America and Iron Man. Rivalry there, all right. We all know that Iron Man leads the team. It's okay. Rivalries. We see them today in our world play out. Maybe you look at political parties as rivals. Maybe you look at a sibling as a sibling rivalry. As we talk about the miracles of Jesus, the baseline of this entire series is going to be this. There is nothing that rivals Jesus. That's why it's called unrivaled. There is nothing that rivals the power of God and the power of his son. And that's why we're excited to dive into this message this morning and this entire series because we get to see the unrivaled power of God at work on the earth through miracles. So let's go ahead and pray for that this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we're just so glad we can gather in your house this morning. God, as we talk about one of the miracles of Jesus and we see the power come off the pages, may we just instill in us that miracles still happen today, and that you are still at work, and your hand is everywhere. Because you are all-knowing, you are all-present, you all are all-powerful. God, be with us throughout our message this morning. Maybe your words and not mine. Pray us on your name. Amen. Speaking of rivalries, I, I told somebody I'd mention this. I usually don't take requests to mention things from the stage, because that would just get me in a lot of trouble. But yesterday we had the Men's Connect event that was a golf outing, and there was a rivalry happening at that point. Um, the Godly team, which is myself and a couple other individuals, uh, Travis Grant, one of our former residents, is on that team, great, great golfer. We were up against this, this team of evil, and we fell short, so evil prevailed for once, and uh, our admin team chairman, Kevin Abbott, and his team of John Taylor, a couple guys, they, they prevailed by a, a stroke or two on us, so congratulations to them for winning our first annual Men's Connect Golf event, so yes, congratulations to you. All right, enough of my humility, let's move on. As we dive into the miracles of Jesus, miracles is something that we need to define. What is a miracle? So what I did this week as I was preparing the sermon is I wanted to see what others have said about miracles so that I've picked some esteemed individuals said, hey, what do they see miracles as? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Miracles are a retelling 
in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. If you don't know what that's referencing, C.S. Lewis is referencing creation, how we do see miracles every day, and that's God's creation. Let's go a little bit out of the theological realm. Ronald Reagan puts it this way. God's miracles are to be found in nature itself, the wind and the waves, the wood that becomes a tree. All of these are explained biologically, but behind them is the hand of God. And then John MacArthur says this. A miracle is an extraordinary event wrought by God through human agency, an event that cannot be explained by natural forces. Miracles are always designed to authenticate the human instrument God has chosen to declare a specific revelation to those who witness the miracle. We have seen miracles throughout our lives. However, we might explain them away. We have seen miracles through the pages of Scripture, and we're going to zoom in on one today. We're actually zooming in on one of my favorite miracles, and I'll tell you why a little bit later. But let's go to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to be all morning long. So Luke chapter 5, what we're going to do, how I'm going to impact this, is I'm going to read the entire text that we're covering today, and then we're going to break it down verse by verse expositorily. So here we go. Starting in verse 17 of Luke Five, it says this, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. Verse 19. But finding no way to bring him in, because the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk? Verse 24, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they were glorified. God, and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, when we read scripture, and we just read through these texts, sometimes we can read through these texts and these miracles, and we not stop and focus on what the gravity of what just happened. Church, that happens to us in our daily life. We don't take moments to realize some of the greatness that's around us or some of the great things that God has done. When's the last time we woke up, we went outside, and when it's not allergy season, breathed in the fresh air and said, man, God made this. The breath of all that I see, every corn field and soybean field, God has had a hand in this. 
When is the last time when we traveled on vacation because we don't vacation here and we saw great wonders of mountains or beaches or oceans and said, this is God's doing? Do we take time and marvel at the wonder? Or just like when we read scripture, do we read through it and say, hmm, Jesus was a pretty good guy and move on? So let's stop today for a minute and appreciate what just happened. Let's break this down. Verse 17 says this, On one of those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with them to heal. So let me say this. So this miracle is recorded not only in Luke, but the Gospels of Mark and also Matthew. If you don't know that, they're called the Synoptic Gospels, Synoptic being kind of same, so similar information. And so we know from one of the other accounts that this is happening in Capernaum. The city of Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee. It is a city that would have been named with Jesus to it and linked Jesus to it. Here's why. We know that Jesus is of Nazareth, but we know for some time he did live in Capernaum. We know that from Matthew chapter 9. So he's in this town, probably where Peter lives, and he's already performed some miracles. So people have heard of him. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from other villages and other areas. People were gathering to Jesus for two different reasons. Number one, people wanted to see the wonders of Jesus that they've heard about, or they wanted to try to prove him wrong or destroy him in some way. And that's what the Pharisees and teachers of the law were trying to do. Verses 18 and 19 says this, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. I want to stop and talk about a couple things in that text. Number one, man, awesome friends. Man was paralyzed. These four buddies of his were probably the ones that would take him out daily, put him somewhere in the city where he could beg for alms, and that's what they would do every day before they probably went to work, probably as fishermen, being on the Sea of Galilee. Long days. They still went and helped their friend, probably took him somewhere in the city, laid him there for the day, and on their way home, grabbed him. Man, that's friendship. And then they know that Jesus is coming. They already know a couple miracles that have happened. And they might say to themselves, we need to get Jesus before our friend. We need our friend to Jesus. And so they found out where Jesus was. The crowd was too large to get in. And they could not get through. Let me explain about probably some first century houses here. So let me put up an image of Capernaum in our kind of our childlike slide here, all right? So it's a port city of the Sea of Galilee, big for fishing industry. You see these houses really close together. If you look at the one right in the middle, you see it's got like a wall that goes around. There's a courtyard in the middle. That would have been kind of where Jesus was, in a courtyard, preaching under kind of an awning. And there was no way for the friends to get him into there. So they climbed up on the roof. Well, Because I am an inquisitive person, I want to know how they climbed up on the roof with a paralyzed guy. I mean, like, was it like rope and they're like pulling him up? Or were they like, did they try to toss him? Like, what are they doing? 
Because in my knowledge of first century architecture, there is not a fire escape on the outside of houses for two reasons. Number one, fire escapes were just a really bad idea in the first century because of robbers, obviously, and hadn't been invented yet. Well, with my study, and here's what I found for you, for myself, some of you might be like, well, this is useless knowledge for me. Houses in the first century are so close together. Most likely what happened was this. The four friends, like, hey, we can't get you into this courtyard. It is, the gate's full of people. The door's full of people. They probably walked into the neighbor's house, went up through their house on the roof, did a little two-foot jump over, and then got him there. Now, that is Chase's opinion. Man, that's friendship. We're awkward people just walking to some stranger's house. We don't even want to knock on somebody's, like, who wants their door knocked on? I don't. I know when our doorbell rings, Megan's like, this should not be happening. I'm like, I know. Who's here? And these guys are taking this gentleman that's paralyzed through the, probably the neighbor's house to the roof over to another roof. And that's just the first feat. The next feat is this. They're digging through clay tiles or dry dirt that's been solidified and then through straw and hay. So here's what's happening. Jesus is preaching and this is going on and all of a sudden you can only imagine it starts raining debris on Jesus. That has to be what's going on. The crowd probably looking at Jesus is probably like, what is happening? What foolish people? And as the stretcher is lowered, what happens? Well, we see verse 20. It says this. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's where the English language is important to reading the Bible. And when they saw, when he saw their faith, their faith. The four friends saw this as their only chance to get their friend a miracle. The four friends saw this as their only chance to get him a miracle. And they did everything they could to get him to Jesus. So much so, they lowered him through the roof of a building where Jesus is preaching at and brings him there. Yeah, the miracle could be what we're going to talk about later, Jesus healing someone that's paralyzed. But maybe what we need to realize in our world today, the miracle for us might need to be this. There were four people that loved their brother so much, their friend, their comrade, that they went to extraordinary lengths to help them. Because maybe we've lost faith in that today. Are we willing to help others around us out to that level? Because for some reason, that seems to be away from us. Because for some reason, it only seems to be in fantasy land that we see that happening anymore. For example, everybody knows I love movies. We see great bonds of fellowship and maybe like, ooh, 
The Fellowship of the Ring. Everyone loves Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Ring. There's some brotherhood and camaraderie. Or maybe for some others, that's the next one. We'll talk about this evil. Yeah, nope, nope, go back. <laughs> the trio of Harry Potter. Maybe that's where we see unity. Maybe that's where we see this camaraderie and brotherhood. Church, we've lost faith maybe in our neighbor being able to help each other out. And the problem with that is this. As a Christian, if that's what we call ourselves, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm not making that up. It's right here. Have we lost that today? For those of you that are old enough to remember, and hopefully those of you that aren't old enough to remember that you've been taught about this, yesterday marked 20 years since 9-11. 20 years since 9-11. That's unity and brotherhood and camaraderie. I don't know if those gentlemen are Christian or not. But man, I hope they are. Have we forgotten that? Or as what 9-11 brought us was more people being sent overseas to defend our freedom. Maybe what brotherhood and camaraderie is supposed to look like is the next image. Being willing to do whatever is necessary for the person next to you. If you are military, former, active, you know what I'm talking about at this point. One of the first churches I got to preach at, um, I was supply preaching. What you know what that is, is as a supply preacher when I was in college, I was an undergrad, I was probably a sophomore, and they send you to this little church that can't afford a pastor, and they say, hey, go sharpen your skills there. So I went to this small church in Quapaw, Oklahoma, of about 35 people, and I was 20 or 19, 19, and I got to start preaching. And I realized really quickly, in this small church of 35 people, Almost every man in there was over the age of 50 and was a Vietnam veteran. So I learned really quickly what they knew of bonds of brotherhood. And I also learned very quickly as a young pastor the difference between cavalry and cavalry. All right? But I remember talking with them, and one of them was a, he was a para-jumper, and he talked about when he was in a plane, and he said, as we trained for this, he said, what you want to notice is this. When you look down the rows, if anybody in our unit wasn't a believer, they became a believer very quickly. No one had to talk to them about it because they did not know what was going to happen. Church, I'm not a prophet. I don't proclaim to be. But when Jesus came in the first century as the son of God, he was talking to a people that had lost hope. He was. The Jewish audience was completely being crushed and persecuted by Rome. Roman occupation had set in. And as was mentioned earlier, they thought that Jesus was going to reign forever. And Jesus is like, no, that's not why I'm here. Because why he's here is what happens in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus cares about our heart first. I hope we all understand that. 
Jesus cares about our heart first. We see that eight times in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus performs miracles and he talks about somebody's human heart first. Because that's what he mentions. Your sins are forgiven. This guy is paralyzed on a mat and Jesus is like, hey, your sins are forgiven. Dude, I can't walk. Maybe that's how we would respond today. I can't get off this thing. But we have to understand is their culture thought of things a little differently. Because verses 21 through 23 of Luke 5 says this, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? So here's what's happening here. Jesus looks at this man that's paralyzed, says, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the scribes, the ones that believe they're fully educated, are grouped in a circle. What, are they, what is this guy doing? Because in our knowledge, he's performed one of the four blasphemies. He's proclaiming to be God. And as, as a Pharisee, I know Isaiah 43 says this, that only God can forgive sins. Who is this person that claims this? Here's what the Pharisees didn't get. The Pharisees and scribes knew theology, but missed Jesus. Hear me on that, especially if you've been a lifelong believer. There's a difference between knowing the word and knowing the word. I have no doubts that there will be people that know the word of God that probably won't spend eternity with him. And that's horrible. Just because they knew it and they did not see Jesus. Church, do we get, are we the same way? Do we miss those things? We argue about petty things that don't matter, and we miss Jesus. And what Jesus says is this, verse 24 of Luke 5, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let me break something down real quick. And I don't have much time, so I'm not going to go too far down the rabbit trail. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. This is the title that Jesus uses most in the Gospels to explain who he is. The title Son of Man literally means man. or human. But what the Pharisees missed is Daniel chapter 7. In one of Daniel's visions, it talks about the, the Son of Man. Not in personification, but an actual being coming. And they missed it. They missed it. What they did know was this. As teachers of the law, they knew the Old Testament. They're probably saying, hey, this man is paralyzed, therefore there's some sin in his life or in his family line. They did know that. 
John 9, 2 tells us, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind when dealing with a blind man? This was their understanding of sin in the first century. And understandably from the Old Testament. So when Jesus says first, your sins are forgiven, and the response is, well, who is this? And to their point, you can't physically see if sins are forgiven. So then Jesus goes one step further. Fine. Which is easier? For me to tell him his sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And he does it. But understand this. Jesus shows who he is first by dealing with sin, then meeting the need. Man, the imagery in this miracle is something that I absolutely love. Man, your sins are forgiven, and then rise and walk. Because I need to treat your heart condition first before I treat anything else. And church, maybe we get this confused today. We think, oh, we have to be a certain way, we have to act a certain way, or we can't go into church, or we can't go to a life group, because we don't want people to see how we act. We need to leave that to the side. Because what we need to work on first is what's right here. The sin issue we got going on. We all sin. How I know that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that's scripture. And that's how Jesus shows who he is as the son of man, by first dealing with the sin, then meeting the need. Then what we have to recognize is this. I mentioned to it earlier the importance of knowing the English language and reading text. When they said, hey, Jesus saw their faith, their faith. It is the faith of the four friends that is recognized. Because they were willing to do whatever it took to get someone to Jesus. This sermon gives its own application, and I as a pastor don't have to touch it. What are we doing to get people in our sphere of influence to Jesus? And 99% of those people in our spheres aren't paralyzed. So you're not physically carrying them. What are we doing? Church, what am I doing? Maybe on a practical basis. I shouldn't hate it when my doorbell rings. We should want to converse with people and talk to people. And put aside silly rivalries. Because what should matter to us first is that our identity is that we're a follower of Christ. That should identify me first. And what identifies me second, after I'm a son of God, child of God, is this. I'm a husband. And then if you go all the way down this spectrum... You will see the sport teams I support. Then after that, you might see some political positions I believe in after my sports team. Guys, I fear that some days we might not be the friends that we see in this miracle because there's so many other things dividing our attention and our allegiances. And our allegiances first to God. 
And the four friends knew that they needed to be there for their brother, take him to Jesus. And that's what they did. Tim Keller writes this about friendship. Everyone says they want community and friendship. But mention accountability or commitment to people and they run the other way. Being in this tight-knit community of brotherhood means you hold each other accountable. Iron sharpens iron. You're willing to call somebody out when they're wrong. I'll be the first to admit to you, if I did not have that in my life, I would not be a good person. I need people in my life to tell me when I'm wrong. Why? I'm a strong-willed person. I believe that's been ingrained in me by God. But man, Satan can get a hold of that pretty quickly. And I need friends and brothers around me to keep me accountable. We saw that these four individuals showed up for their friend every day, day in and day out. Church, that's authentic community. Authentic community is people showing up for you. Here at Great Oaks, we call it life groups. Guys, that's why it's so important. As we talk about what Life Group Sundays is, these next two Sundays, it is about us saying, hey, yeah, I'm a believer, but man, I need to be around other people that hold me accountable. I need to be around other people that say, hey, what's going on in your life? Let's learn some more. Let's dive into scripture. Let's have some cool food, whatever, and that we're engaging each other. I need those people in my life that look at me and say, hey, Chase, when's the last time you took your wife on a date? I need the people in my life that say, hey, Chase, when's the last time you dived into scripture that wasn't for church work? I need that people in my life that say, hey, Chase, when did you pray for yourself? When did you come before the Father on your knees and pray and it didn't have anything to do with church? I need that. So hear me on this. I'm no better than anyone in this room. So I tell you that you need that because I know I need it. I believe that God still does miracles today. Fully believe that. I referenced it earlier that we still see miracles. We just explain them away. Somehow when somebody gets cured of cancer, instead of saying, oh, hey, God's at work, we're like, man, the imaging machine must have been wrong. The chemo was super potent that day. Don't get me wrong. God has given us skilled hands to make medicine. I have no doubts of that in my mind. But don't underplay the hand of God at work. We talk about sickness a lot with miracles, and maybe that's not what we should be talking about with miracles today. Maybe what we should talk about with miracles today is that God can unify people again. That God can bring families back together that have seen division. Families that have seen division over beliefs politically, or beliefs with COVID, or beliefs with how to raise kids, that God can unify that. Because maybe that's the miracle you need to see today. I'll pray for that for you. And I hope that comes true. But I want to get you to a group of individuals that want to pray with you as a community and a body. Because we need community. We are made for it. Whether we like it or not, being a Christian is not a solo sport. 
It is a team sport. And it's what frustrates me most of the time. But it is. Yes, my faith is mine. But our mission is not mine alone. It's ours. Let's own that. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we're just so glad we gathered in your house. God, as we see your son, the son of God, perform miracles, the one and only Jesus, we're so thankful for that. God, you do amazing things. We ask you to heal our hearts. First, let us recognize our sin and ask for forgiveness of those. Secondly, we ask you to heal our land, the land that we're supposed to steward. Rid ourselves of the division, the dysfunction, the hatred. God, let us surround ourselves with godly people and let us bring in those that do not know you. Let us be as the four friends. Give us that faith. Give us that boldness because we truly believe that you are a God of miracles because we have seen it. We've heard it, and we still see it today. Pray us on your name. Amen.